The opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advice offered through Private Advisor Group, a registered investment advisor. Private Advisor Group and Parks Wealth Management are separate entities from LPL Financial. What is it like to age well in the Garden State, where nearly a quarter of residents are over 60 years old? Are you one of them? Join New Jersey Advocates for Aging Well to discuss the ups and downs of aging in New Jersey. In this podcast series, we tap into our network of leading experts to provide a fresh look into the key issues affecting the state's older population and their families including finances, housing, health, and security. Each half-hour episode details professional insight into how you can maximize the joy, minimize the challenges, and capitalize on the opportunities that aging in the Garden State offers. Finances and money are two of the most important things we need to plan for as we age. Join us today as we sort through the important topics to help you plan for retirement or to preserve your pensions and savings to meet your needs. Hello and welcome to Aging Insights. I'm Kathy Rowe, Executive Director of New Jersey Advocates for Aging Well. I know it's hard, even taboo, to talk about money, but that's what we're going to focus on today. How can we enjoy a longer life if we can't afford it? So to help us cipher through the options and strategies for financial security as we age, I'd like to introduce Jim Parks, president of Parks Wealth Management in Bergen County. Welcome, Jim, and I'm glad you could join us today. Thank you so much, Kathy. It's an honor to be here. Now, I just want to emphasize before we get started that you know, we're going to cover some of the important uh, financial topics facing older adults, but we know that one size doesn't fit all. So people need to take the time to organize um, and to review what they have in order to make the best financial plans for them. Certainly. Yeah. Everyone is so different yes, when it comes to their situation, different. their objectives. Yes, I agree 100%. Yeah. So the good news is that we're living longer. Yes. The other news <laughs> is that we have to plan for that and for living years after we stop working. So it's you know very common now for people to live 20, 25 years past retirement. And maybe when they started working, they were thinking they'd go 10 years past retirement. So how is planning different for, than when it was 25 years ago, when many people were working and making those uh, financial plans and budgets? Yeah, sure, that's a great question. Um, and we should celebrate people living longer, mm -hmm. right? With the medical advancements, with people being more active, mm -hmm. older adults. Um, I think of three primary things when it comes to how financial planning has changed for older adults over the last 25 years. And the first is, if you're retiring today, there's mm -hmm. a lower chance of you having a pension in retirement as opposed to if you retired 25 years ago. That's true. So a pension is a guaranteed monthly income designed for you to receive that for every month of your lifetime. And in the 80s, companies decided, we don't want this liability on our books. We don't want to have to pay out monthly income for all of our ex-employees for okay. an extended period of time. So that shift started to 401k plans, or public service employees, 403B plans. Mm -hmm. So now it's not the company's responsibility to help their employees prepare for retirement. It's the employee's responsibility. 
I'm a new employee, I get a book, here's my 401k options, mm -hmm. it's up to me to decide to put money away for my retirement. I need to decide how much to put away mm -hmm. in order to have a secure retirement. I need to select the investments as well. Uh -huh. So it's, company is saying, okay, this isn't on us now, it's on the employees. So it's more important to right. people understand their retirement plan at work and to make the right decisions. And the employer, was making contributions towards that 401k, but still it was up to you know all of us to decide how much we were going to put in, how much we could put in, yeah. and, and how we we're going to invest it going forward. Exactly, yeah. Okay. So that's one thing that I think of. Um, I think of knowing about inflation. Mm -hmm. Inflation was so quiet and below historical averages for so many years. Right. <laughs> until recently. Right, okay. now um, we all talk about inflation. Yes, um, when you go to the supermarket and you buy your groceries mm -hmm. for the week, uh, people are just amazed how much more they're paying than they were two years ago or three right. years right. ago. Inflation peaked at between eight to 9% last summer. So thankfully, the Federal Reserve has been increasing interest rates, mm -hmm. slowing the economy a bit, which will help then lower inflation. Mm -hmm. We're in the 4% to 5% range. But Kathy, if you're doing your retirement planning, you need to include inflation if you look at right. your living expenses to make sure that you're assuming that they'll increase by a historical rate, maybe 3% or 4% per year until we mm -hmm. plan for age 95 or so for yeah. clients. I think we forgot about inflation for a while because it was so low and interest rates were so low. We just, you know, put it aside, but in the last, since COVID, in the last few years, it was much higher. And yeah. this year, Social Security did give a nice, a large cost of living increase. Yes. I think the largest they've done in like 40 years. Yeah. But that doesn't happen every year, does it? Right. Often people are disappointed saying, my Social Security only increased by 1% or so right. in the past prior to this period. Okay. So we can't count on Social Security to keep up with inflation all the time, or it might be a while before it catches up. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And then a third thing I think of is the mobility of adult children, mm -hmm. right? So when people are planning for retirement, I think of my mom. My mom lives in Long Island with my stepdad. Uh, it's where we all were raised. I live in New Jersey. I have a sister who is in Pennsylvania, a brother in Virginia, and mm -hmm. a sister in New York City. Okay. And in talking with her, they're in a continuing care retirement community, okay. which isn't right for everyone I know, and sometimes it is too expensive for some people but they love it. They're reunited with people. She's a teacher who she taught with, with people who they raised children together with. Mm -hmm. She's in book clubs, knitting clubs. They go out to eat mm -hmm. in their community all the time. And she said, Jim, if I moved to New Jersey with you, what would I do? Right. I would lose all those right. relations, which as we know when we study, what makes people happy in retirement, it's those relationships and the community right. that right. they have. So when we run financial planning scenarios, we ask, what are your thoughts about a community like that? Does it make sense for you? And if they have the financial wherewithal, then to put that as a scenario in financial planning. Oh, okay. Because it can be right for some people, but I understand yeah. it's not right for everybody. So when people are starting to look at what they have or what they think they have, how can they take inventory and, and what do they need to look at? So if, if they're thinking I'm going to you know, move into independent living or I'm gonna sell my house or, or I'm gonna stay in my house. How do people take inventory and what should they do first? Sure. So I think the most important thing is to know what you have and why you have it. Okay. And uh, we can look at a balance sheet that we prepare for clients where people can do this on their own. Okay. And it starts with financial assets. It's listing. When people are putting together that inventory mm -hmm. of their income and their assets, what we would suggest is that they, they don't have an accurate social security statement, that they log on to ssa.gov and they create uh, an online uh, username and password, and then they would receive their social security estimates. 
they could see the impact if they choose to receive Social Security before their full retirement age, or what their full retirement age income is, or if they choose to wait until age 70, how much more that could be. Of course, there's pluses and minuses as to which option to select, but it's just taking an inventory to know the figures, and that can be done through ssa.gov. You mentioned uh, a relative you know has seven different bank relationships. Yeah. So it would be putting that all on paper. How the asset is owned? Is it owned just in one person's name or jointly owned? Okay. The value of the bank accounts in this situation, as well as if there's transfer on death relationships. Oh, okay. Ownership, transfer on death makes so much sense uh, to know. People could have a great estate plan, great wills and trusts. Mm. But by contract, if someone passes away, that asset is belonged to the joint owner or that asset goes to the transfer on death beneficiary regardless of what the will says. So that takes precedence. Okay. Sometimes people may have a piece of real estate with a brother, but their mm -hmm. intention is that it stay within their family to their spouse or children, but if they own that real estate with their brother, it becomes their brother's at the time of death. Okay. Um, but going back to that balance sheet, um, we can use technology to assist mm. clients with this. This is one thing that's changed in the past 25 years, which is pretty neat. Mm -hmm. FinTech is a term. I don't know if you've ever heard of no. that. It's financial technology, and there's been such advancements. Okay. So you could do it on your own. You could do it on a spreadsheet or through software. Um, you can have usernames and passwords to bank accounts, for example. Mm -hmm. Enter it on the financial planning software, and it will pull daily balances of those bank accounts. Oh, wow. So pretty neat. Yeah. You can pull daily values of checking accounts, savings accounts, credit cards, mortgages, investment mm -hmm. accounts. So it's a living, breathing balance sheet that's updated on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Really helpful. So uh, if there's adult children who are helping their parents, sometimes right. the adult children will step in, more comfortable with technology. Right. And we can create that inventory of assets. Right. And then income sources. Uh, we talked about pensions. Mm -hmm. Enter what pension income is, mm -hmm. enter social security income, other income sources, and then create a retirement income projection. So, so what would some of those other income sources be that you see? Uh, rental properties. Oh, okay. Sometimes if people own real estate and they're renting and they have great tenants year after year, okay. uh, including that type of income. And that's what we see most often. Okay. Um, so uh, a retirement income projection would include social security, pension, other income coming mm -hmm. in. And then living expenses. And sometimes that's the hardest part as financial planners when we say, how much are you spending each month? Okay. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. Some months is higher than others. Right, right. Um, with technology, if credit cards, checking accounts are connected, software will actually say, well, in the past six months, you've spent, for example, $50,000 and categorize those expenses. Mm -hmm. So it's being done for you if you're comfortable with technology okay. and doing that. So you can break out, this is my groceries, my entertainment, vacation, clothing, sort it out. Exactly and right. And see where you're spending money, okay. Yeah, and then the retirement income projection takes all that data and says, okay, if I'm spending $100,000 a year, my social security and pension is a certain amount, I need to take withdrawals from my investment portfolio, mm -hmm. I need to grow that $100,000 by 3% or so per year, how long will my money last? Right. Sometimes it's great news that we share with people. We say not only, like uh, we're going to show in the retirement income projection, not only will you last, your investment portfolio will actually grow if you're spending $100,000 a year inflation <laughs> adjusted. Right. And then we'll show a maximum retirement income saying if you want to splurge, if you want to take those extra tips, mm -hmm. um, the analysis that we're showing it has a maximum income of $150,000 a year. So theoretically at age 95, someone mm -hmm. would spend their financial assets down to zero. 
Okay. And we say most likely this will be a range. Right, if you want right. to spoil your kids and grandkids and go on wonderful trips, that's okay. You can do those things. Some people right. are very conservative with spending. Okay. On the other side, there's people who they're spending $100,000, but maybe the financial plan will show the most they can spend is $75,000 a year. Okay. It's a helpful exercise just to know that. And we don't pass judgment on that. We'll just show people, here's where you're spending, mm -hmm. and then they will decide, well, maybe I don't need to go out to eat as much, or maybe right. I can cut back on these expenses. So that awareness, I think, is so important when it yeah. comes to retirement income. And I, and I think that's a concern that so many people have, both both you know older adults and their adult children. Like, what if I outlive my money? Yes. What if I spend too much? But if people don't have an idea, or they're not tracking where that money goes. Yeah. You know, some things you could cut, it's like you could skip a vacation or change a vacation. Other things, you know, your, your rent or your mortgage or your taxes, those you have to pay. Right. Um, and medical costs are something that can really be a surprise for people. And, sure. and I know that we hear stories of how people are, you know, bankrupt or in financial ruin because of these medical expenses. Um, and it can be traumatic. So, one of the things that we have talked about before is planning to have long-term care insurance to help avoid those like you know huge medical bills that you're you're not planning for but um it's it's complicated medicare does not cover home care aid or a lot of things that people think it covers they That's just right. assume medicare is going to take care of that yeah and it doesn't so at what age should people start thinking about long-term care insurance and what should they look for in it you're right Great questions. Okay. <laughs> Medicare wasn't designed to pay for long-term care. Right. Medicare will cover just a portion of the first 100 days of skilled care. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, most often it's custodial care. It's helping getting from a bed to okay. a chair or toileting or doing those types right. of things, more custodial care. Um, I know in the industry people talk about looking at long-term care insurance once someone turns age 50, which okay. is a surprise to people. The benefit there is premiums are lower. In addition, um, people are healthier. Sometimes okay. people apply for long-term care insurance in their 60s or 70s, but due to pre-existing health conditions, they may not qualify. I thought you were going to say start looking at like 25 or 30. No. <laughs> wow. <laughs> not, that's... Not <laughs> early. But, but 50 is a reasonable time to start looking at it and it's still affordable. Yeah. That's good to hear. Exactly right. It's not for everyone. So part of the financial plan that we talked about, you could put in a scenario that says, okay, if I'm paying several thousand dollars a year for long-term care insurance, how does that impact my retirement income? Will I have enough to meet living expenses? Okay. So for some people, it's a nice option, and for other people, it isn't. Okay. So things to look for. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly consider an inflation increase. So for your daily right. benefit or monthly benefit to increase a certain percent, mm -hmm. be it 3% or 5%, it does increase the premium, but that's so important. We talked about inflation. Right. Here's a fun inflation example, Kathy. Okay, fun inflation. You don't hear that too much. Uh, yes. <laughs> so you're at a cocktail party and something talks about, somebody talks about rising costs. And okay. it generally works for people who are about 70 or older. But you may ask them this question. Uh, do you remember what you paid for your first home? Okay. I asked my mom this. She's my, uh, my little research grouper in the okay. retiring community. And uh, she said, I remember. It was a nice little place, uh, South Shore of Long Island. I paid $17,000 for it. Wow. And I said, what did you pay for your last car? <laughs> Wasn't exactly sure, but she thinks it was about $45,000. So no one would ever think that. Wow, a car would cost more than your first house. Would about never, three times never more. For that. Right? Wow. Yeah, so that's why if you're 50 years old and you're buying long-term care insurance, you may need this. Sometimes people are younger and they need long-term care, but it may be older. So yes, certainly have an inflation coverage rider. 
And then what we try to do is we try to select an amount of daily coverage or monthly benefit of coverage mm -hmm. that fits the gap. So let's say Social Security income is coming in, pension income is coming mm -hmm. in. Some withdrawals from investments may help, but what is the difference between the average cost of care and those income sources, and then fill in that gap with long-term care insurance. Okay. Now, when you're looking at long-term care insurance and, and other plans, can you look at it as the couple for a married couple, or do you have to look at people separately? Because a lot of women who are retired today, they did not work for pay outside the home. They worked right. plenty, but they didn't work for pay, or they weren't paid as much as men were. So their pensions and their Social Security would be very different than a man's. Right. So do you, do you look at the, like if they're married separate or do you look at them as a joint? We consider them joint. Okay. And we talked a little bit about pensions and mm -hmm. at that time of collecting a pension, we hope that that higher income earner who had a pension looks at the 100% survivorship option. Mm -hmm. So if, I don't want to be sexist, but if the male was working and female was raising children right. at home and, and working at home, then it would be very important that that higher pension income mm -hmm. be the same for the spouse. Right. Um, sometimes it's, of course, the opposite. The uh, female is the higher income earner, mm -hmm. and then it would also be very important to have 100% survivorship income okay. for the husband. But we do consider them together in joint yeah. financial assets. Yeah, and, and you know, as we go forward, that's going to be less of an issue, but you know, realistically, people who are in their 60s or 70s now the women don't have the same amount of pension as the, as the men, so right. it's important to consider. I've had people sit with us when we talk about financial planning and a spouse has passed away and they're receiving maybe 50% of what their spouse's pension was. Mm -hmm. And I've been told and finger pointed, make sure you tell everybody that this could happen, that the yeah. higher income earner, pension owner could pass away and I'm receiving only half of that money and I need to receive more. Yeah. So let's say if pension income would be $3,000, if there's no survivorship option, okay. maybe it would be $2,600 per month. All right. Yes, they're lowering their monthly income, but that's with a 100% survivorship option. So that spouse who's surviving then would receive, receive that same $2,600. Okay. And that could be for a very long period of time, so it's yeah. so important. Yeah, so really thinking in advance. And I wanted to ask you, so you know, even people, when they have plans or they think they have it planned out, how do people get in trouble? Is it, is it that they don't have a plan or they made a plan and they didn't stick to it? Yeah, great question. I think of uh, my first thought is one client was just so generous with her grandchildren. Grandchildren oh. were asking for money. She was very generous. She loved her grandchildren. She didn't have that much in terms of financial resources and gifted a good portion of money to them. She needed care at a later age and then she went to Medicaid early. And okay. I think some people, they're kind, especially with grandchildren, so right. that's one example. Right, and you never know. You never know if, you, what, if you're going to need help right. later on. You just don't know. You have to be prepared. Yeah, sure. And sometimes financial plans. who can plans, say no to a grandchild? Yes. <laughs> I love the saying, if I knew how much fun it was to be a grandparent, I would skip being a parent and go straight to being mm, a grandparent. Yeah, my mother has that on a shirt. <laughs> Is that right? That's great. <laughs> Um, so I think that's one situation. Financial plans should have a range. So okay. it's very helpful to some years to splurge and to take those yeah. trips, but then other years to stick more with the financial plan. Okay. And, and how often should people update that plan? Like the one that you made when you were 50 or 60 and about to retire. Yeah. You know, now you're 80. Okay. You go back and revisit it or did you stick to that plan? 
I think the neat part about technology is this is a financial portal that you can log on and see maximum retirement income at any time. Okay. So I would say on an annual basis, look at it and see oh. where projections are. Oh, that frequently, okay. Yeah, I think it's that important. It's almost okay. like going to a, a doctor for an annual checkup. Having a, an annual financial checkup is important. Oh, that's a good, good comparison, okay. Um, so, you know, when we talk about, we were talking about documents and what are, estate planning documents and, and how are they different from a will? Because it sounds like having a will is not enough. That's exactly correct. What else correct. do people need? Yeah, a will is so important. It's the first step. I'm surprised how many people don't have a will. Oh. Successful people, they sometimes don't like thinking about death. Well, they nobody think likes thinking about it. So we, like, we understand why people would not want to or would put it off and put it off, right. but it's so, time to, to think about that. I agree. So a will and possibly a trust if they have specific objectives for holding money and not having mm -hmm. their children or loved ones receive money outright to okay. have it for an extended period of time. So I would put the will and trust as step one. Okay. Next, I would put durable power of attorney. Mm -hmm. So. A durable power of attorney, if I am going out on a bike ride and unfortunately I have an accident, I'm not thinking as clearly as I used to, it's nice to know that my spouse can transact business on my behalf right. as my durable power of attorney. Well, and if you don't have that, is there an automatic person that goes, does it automatically go to your spouse or automatically go to your oldest child? Um, I believe the court needs to be involved. This oh. is a good question yeah. for an attorney, but I believe it needs to be a court appointed uh, person right. to transact so business. So still plan it in advance. So much easier to plan yeah, it in plan advance. Yeah, plan in advance, okay. Yeah. And the next step up is a living will and a healthcare mm -hmm. proxy. Sometimes those are put together in one document. Mm -hmm. Attorneys that we help uh, clients help our clients, excuse me, uh, attorneys that help our clients with. Um, so in that document, you're naming, I'm not able to make healthcare decisions. Who do I feel is the best person? Both mm -hmm. that primary person and then a successor to assist okay. with healthcare decisions. I think that's important. You said the primary person and a successor because what if your primary person is sick or away? Yeah. Something happens, you know, if they're on vacation and something happens, you end up in the emergency room. So that's, that's taking that ex an extra step when making your plans. That's, that's a really right. good point. Yeah. And then a living will. When, if something were to happen to me, um, when would I like to be possibly held on life support mm -hmm. or when would I not? Um, unfortunately, my dad passed away in March oh. and uh, we we're at the hospital. His health was declining and the doctors, they had his living will right there on file. They say, we know his intentions. So it was up to our family then to listen to their advice okay. and to know when was the right time. Wow. It was such a relief that we knew exactly what he wanted mm -hmm. and we felt good about accepting, yes, that this mm. is the time for him. But and, if and that it's wasn't what, the case, it would be much, much harder for us. Right. And it was what he wanted. And exactly we had, right. had talked before, we've talked about um, you know, in April, it's Healthcare Decisions Month. And we've talked about that and had guests on where it's if you want what your desires to be known, that, that's the time to do it. Put yes. it down in writing, share it with your doctor, share it with your loved ones. So that's really, I didn't think of that as part of the financial and the overall planning, but it is, it all ties together. It really does, yeah. Interesting. So when you, um, you, know, when you see people, and you, you must see a whole range of clients with different needs, what are some of the, like, the mistakes that you would want to warn other people about, like kind of the, the easy things to avoid. Okay. I think if marriage is a partnership for all aspects of life, sometimes we see one person handling all their finances. 
So then their spouse just isn't aware of things, maybe mm. isn't aware I'm spending this amount of money. Does this fit within our budget? Does this make okay. sense? Or in one situation, um, husband passed away and told his spouse, don't worry about it if you pass. I have this shoebox, and this shoebox is going to take care of everything financially. Okay, a shoebox. So he passed away. I always referred to them. I visited in the house, and there was the shoebox. And she explained the story, and we opened it up together. And it was stock certificates, paper stock certificates, many of them. So she didn't really know about stocks. And today, most often, people are keeping not stock certificates in paper form, mm -hmm. but in a brokerage account. It's much easier and easier right. to follow. And safer. And safer, exactly right. If that box uh, mysteriously disappeared, it would be a challenge. <laughs> Um, but in this case, she didn't know what was in that box, and a lot of it was penny stocks. So the husband was a gambler, thought he'd invest in companies that maybe were worth 20 cents a share, and many of them were worthless. Oh. So I took it home. I had to calculate the values and okay. talk to them. Thankfully, there was one company that had value, oh, and good. that's what she wound up living on and making withdrawals from periodically. But I just always tell people, even though if one person's paying the bills and taking mm -hmm. care of things primarily, get together and talk about their finances yeah. together. So there's equal understanding, and it's really helpful if one person then has a yeah. challenge. Well, and it's hard to talk about finance. People don't like talking about money. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are just happy to push it off on their spouse or someone else and, and say, you deal with it. Why, don't, why are people so afraid of talking about money? Yeah, it's, I find sometimes their thoughts on money are how they were raised and their family's oh, thoughts okay. on money. Okay. And maybe opposites attract, but often okay. we find a husband and wife may have different, or partners may have different right. thoughts. I was raised on saving everything and, and not spending too much, and the other person may have just lived in a different environment and are very free with spending. Okay. So I think sometimes it does lead to potential conflict, but right. that's even more important for open communication and talking about things. It is. And, and I think you have a really good point because we were talking earlier, and I know that some of my mother's financial and saving habits go back to being raised with parents who talked about the depression and the run on the banks. And she had, you know, accounts in several different banks because I think she was always afraid, what if what if one went under? Yeah. Um, so it, if how you're raised really affects how you look at finances and how you plan. Sure. I think financial planning is such a gift that it can help you dream. Mm -hmm. And at the end of our meetings, we ask about people's bucket lists. Oh. We ask, what's on it? What is it that you would just love to do that you never thought you may do? May I ask about your bucket list? What do you have on it, Kathy? A lot of travel. A lot of a travel? Lot of travel, yeah. Fantastic. I want to go to Patagonia and Antarctica. Wow. That sounds <laughs> and they're awesome. not cheap trips, so. <laughs> okay. So in your retirement planning, maybe the first year retirement show, maybe a $10,000 or $20,000 expense for doing those great things. Mm -hmm. And people sometimes don't take the time to think of those fun things that financial planning can afford them and give them the comfort of knowing we can afford this, we can do this, mm -hmm. rather than always put it off and maybe not get to it. Oh, that's important to, fo to focus on the fun part and not feel like you're depriving yourself yes. and saving. Yeah, exactly right. So you know, one of the things that we talk about every year, we talk about fraud and seniors. And you know, there is, there's a multi-billion dollar industry out there trying to rob people of their money. And you know, when people are looking for advice on this, how do we find, how do they find trusted advice and what should they look out for for fraud and scams with you know, somebody approaching them with an offer that's too good to be true? What should yeah. they look out for? Sure. Unfortunately, we've had clients who experience this situation. Ah. 
one time uh, a person was contacted by phone and said, you've won the lottery. Oh, great news. He was thrilled. <laughs> and uh, I guess online it just appeared to him. He won the lottery. Oh. He contacted them. And it went so far to the point that he needed to go to ATM with Bitcoin or things like that and have this Bitcoin transferred to them. Okay. He contacted us, asked what we thought, and we said, this is fraud. Do not oh, wow. do this. Oh, good. You, you stopped him from doing it. Unfortunately, no, we didn't. We offered to contact his children or have him contact his children mm -hmm. just because it just sounded so fishy. And his comment was, I've always been a gambler. Why not? Oh, no. But it just it wasn't even one time. It continued. He didn't want to tell his adult children. Mm -hmm. So just horrible. There are bad people out there who I don't know how... They can look at themselves in the mirror. I don't know how they could do those things, but it is such a shame. Yeah, and they're and they're professionals. Like we've said before, it's you know it, people shouldn't feel feel stupid or embarrassed because right. these people are trained and they're good at it, and they will keep going and going. Yeah. Um, you know, it's their goal to to trick you. So, um, but it sounds like as it gets more complicated, that's more the sign that it's fraud. Right. I would suggest that. Uh, an older adult who gets this do too good to be true offer or gets a phone call that their grandson is in jail and they need to provide oh, gift cards or right, other that one. odd alternatives that they suggest is to speak with their family, contact the grandson. Okay. Sometimes that's happened and the grandson says, oh, thank you for calling, how are you? And of course they're not in jail. So right, right. bring in the children, bring in the grandchildren, communicate or bring in the financial advisor or a trusted advisor okay. in that mix. And check it out. Yes. And, fi and find a reliable source to get your financial advice from. Yes, certainly. Yeah, exactly right. And ask people, friends, or ask relatives for who they're comfortable with and maybe okay. have worked with for a long period of time. I think that's the key, okay. having a relationship over the course of years or over the course of generations. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us and for your advice today. It was a pleasure having you, and I think this is really helpful for people who are watching how to start sorting through and taking stock of what they have reevaluating it and um, and making plans so they can live well. Oh, it's my pleasure, Kathy. It's such a resource that you provide to people and uh, it's an honor to be a part of this. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I want to thank our guest, Jim Parks, for sharing his expertise with us. Aging Insights is brought to you by our funders, supporters, and viewers like you. You can watch this and past episodes of Aging Insights on YouTube or through our website, njaaw.org, on the Aging Insights tab. And you can listen to us where you find your favorite podcasts. For an extensive list of resources for older adults, visit our website at njaaw.org backslash services and resources.